Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, where we shine the spotlight on the many but often ignored positive happenings, activities, projects and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation, the Jamaica Public Service Company, Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited, Red Stripe, Caramed and Proven Investments Limited. I'd like to welcome you, Mr. Ricardo Allen, to Impacting Jamaica. And um, today's conversation is about one-on-one. -on -one. That's the name right. of the organization, yeah? Absolutely. One-on-one -on -one educational services. We actually may change that name to one-on-one -on -one because we're doing so many things now. Still in education by and large, but we're doing quite a number of things, you know? Very excited. What, what got you started in the first instance? And what is it that you're doing now in addition to what you started doing? You know, so what got us started was really just a passion for education, uh, to see uh, education done in much much better way. Uh, you know, when I started out, I was just a tutor at university, tutoring students uh, in high school. Uh, what actually got me attracted to the idea was you know, the first day I went into a, a tutoring session uh, while studying actuarial sciences at UWE. And uh, I went into a, a tutoring session and I, and I remember there were probably about 10 students to one tutor. And it was so impactful in that we covered so much, but we spent time working the problems in the way that, uh, you know, we, we, the tutor kind of guided us along the solutions and so on. And I fell in love with the concept. I fell in love with it. And I decided to introduce that to high school students because I felt it, it, it would have been necessary. I mean, usually when you do a math class, you're in a class with 30, 40 students and you go through the theory and so on. But, you know, does that really help, right? Is that really helpful? Uh, what I found was going to a lecture and, you know, copying the theory and then going to a tutoring session to kind of cement that theory was the way. So we started a company called one-on-one -on -one tutoring at the time. And our goal was simple, right? To provide tutoring in a class setting of 10 students or less. So the maximum class size was 10. And uh, students would come to us on a Saturday and so on. We started with about five students on that tree up JC. And then we quickly morphed into a thousand students. And then we had to figure out how do we continue to scale this business um, by, by getting more students, but keeping those classes small, and we decided to go online. And that was 2013. It took us two years to build out our online learning platform. Uh, in, 23rd, in 2015, after we're through building the platform, we ran out of money. Uh, we did a deal at the time to license our solution to uh, Cable and Wireless International, that's flow. And, you know, that has been something that has worked out tr tremendously for us, quite frankly. And, you know, we've grown into a company that essentially provides enterprise learning solutions to companies, governments, and so on. So that deal we did in 2014 with Flow, we've replicated that in a number of ways to governments and so on. And so now we power quite a number of the governments regionally, quite a number of companies regionally. And, you know, we're also skilled in instructional design. That's where we take what's in your mind and we create these sticky and engaging learning content for your company. And so, you know, we, we have gone beyond the realms of just doing, uh, you know, classroom and, and online classes for students. In fact, I would say over the past five years, we've not done any of that. Uh, we have stopped our enterprise business 
And just this year, we just did an acquisition of Spark Education uh, Company uh, led by Brittany Singh. And through that acquisition, we're going back into the K-12 space where we provide instructions for students. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why we're going back. The passion is really what led, led us back into it. But certainly, we're starting to where we are now. I mean, we're probably 100 times as big as to where we were in 2013. Interesting concept. As a matter of fact, it's an, an interest of mine as well. But yeah. I want to ask you, you're talking about the hundred reasons why you got, you're going back into education. I can think of one, and that is our current situation, the an epidemic. Um, yeah. How does that impact what you're doing now? And how will it, um, you know, show the way ahead? Well, first and foremost, let's talk about it, right? Uh, the fact is that we've always been in education and we've not removed ourselves from it. We've just done it a different way uh, through governments, through companies, and so on. We power them and they power their constituents. So, you know, we power some governments. Uh, the government of Bahamas runs on one-on-one, -on -one, for example, all their uh, school systems and so on. We've literally transformed their education system using our technology. Uh, which is an enterprise learning management system and also an enterprise management system for the entire education um, uh, ministry. So school transfers and all of that is all done digitally in the Bahamas, as well as many other things. So we've impacted education in a different way. Now, why are we going back is, is for two reasons. One, passion. You know, we want to, there's no more, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing a child was just gotten a grade one in math after that child said to you a few months ago that boy I don't think I can do it that passion is really why what got us started in fact just to tell you Zadie we started out with a goal of allowing students to pursue a skills-based education what this really meant was that we didn't believe so much that a child should be learning everything we believe that they should learn what they need to know right because we believe in an efficient education system and building up your skills, right? And you know, there's this concept called a zone of proximal development. The educators who are listening will actually understand that term. And what we tend to focus on are the skills that are too complicated for a child to learn on their own, but with a little help, they can learn. And so our model is really to give that child that help so that they learn these skills that they need be it math, language, whatever subject there is, physics, chemistry, biology. And so we've created a skills-based platform. So by this acquisition and going back in, what we're aiming to do, especially in the context of a pandemic, is to understand all the skills that our students have, all the gaps that they have, and also the gaps will now inform the courses that they take. So it's very personalized. And that's what one-on-one -on -one is about, a personalized education online. And how you achieve such level of personalization is by understanding gaps in knowledge of our students. From that gap, curating their learning experience, be it a, a class that they're taking, the class should focus on the skills that they lack, right? Whether it's math and algebra, it, it, they may not be, you know, unfamiliar to all the concepts in algebra. It could be simply algebraic expressions or grouping algebraic terms. And so we zone in on the skills that they lack and we give them the extra classes online. We give them the self-paced content that they can learn on their own. 
the entire math curriculum is online right now. And students can actually take their math courses online and walk into an exam and get their grade one. And so we have focused our energy on that. And so we launching now will solve a big problem in COVID. The fact of the matter is over half of our students have had limited to no interaction or education over the past year. There are a lot of gaps in knowledge that we simply need to know. And once we know that, the question is, what are we doing about it? And what we are doing about it, one extra our new platform that we've launched, is that we are allowing every single child in Jamaica, be it you're in grade four all the way up to grade 13, to do a gap test to understand your gaps in knowledge. And from that, we're recommending courses that you should take, whether live or on demand, to solve those gaps. And that's a simple formula that we're using to impact so many lives that have been affected from this pandemic. I like that concept because I, do be, I don't believe in taking 14 um, exams because you can. I believe in focusing right. on the areas that, because you're not going to use all of that. Um, right, right. Yeah, so um, what I'm seeing is in, in a, less than a year or so, you should be able to get the Ministry of Education up to speed on the way people should be learning online and to help the students who are struggling now to get there as long as they have connections, you know, and, and the tablet, that sort of thing. Am I up the, the street? And, and if so, um, what else should we be thinking about? If not, what else should we, we be thinking about? You know, that's an excellent question. So I think uh, first and foremost, right, the ministry has always been an excellent partner for us and we work very well uh, with the ministry to, to, to pretty much support them in their efforts. I mean, we have to understand that the Ministry of Education is perhaps the biggest, um, save and except from national security, is perhaps the biggest ministry. So as far as people that they cover, uh, we're talking about students, which is roughly about a third of, um, or a sixth of the population, uh, 500,000, right? We're talking about a large grouping of people uh, in terms of students all the way up to, to age 18. And then even beyond that, the ministry has a responsibility. Now, as far as our cons uh, where we are concerned, we see ourselves as enablers, right? So uh, there are three ways that we're looking to support the Ministry of Education. And I'll tell you what they are. Number one, we want to continue providing help for those students who needs the help. There are thousands of students since the pandemic who have simply not had a chance to engage in schooling for whatever reason. You know, when COVID hit last year, one-on-one -on -one was called on and we provided our platform for students to learn. Uh, this year, we would have helped the minister to prepare the CSEC uh, students and we had the summer schools online as well. And also last year, and, 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 you know, last year coming into this year, we've also looked to support the ministry in enabling offline access to learning. We're talking about rural Jamaica, like where I'm from. I'm from Trelawney. Grew up in a place called Calabar. At that time, we didn't have internet and so on. What about those students? Where, how do they learn, right? Do they have internet? So we have provided a concept called classroom in a box, which really allows for us to offline the internet. And what we do is to download a portion of the internet onto the box and we deploy it to a remote area. And you know, anyone can go and connect to it and learn as they would with live internet. 
uh, whether it is the YouTube videos they're catching up on or whether it is a Zoom class that would have happened that they're catching up on, we deploy the content to the box and you know you can learn. And we distribute these boxes through a partnership we have with Cable and Wireless Business. Well, the ministry certainly is going to benefit from that as well to reach people in these remote areas, to reach schools that are out of the connectivity zone, meaning they're in a zone where the internet simply cannot reach them. And, and so th those are two immediate ways we're looking to help. And then, you know, I, I would say a third way, and, and if I were to recommend where the ministry should be going, is just as we've done in the Bahamas, where the minister can sit in our office right now and see how many students are at school learning, what they're learning, how many teachers are at school, what they're doing. You can sit at your desk and transfer a teacher from this school to that one and students alike. We want the Ministry of Education in Jamaica to have that level of sophistication at a government level through an education management information system that will connect all schools, whether they're using platform A, B, C, or D, into one universal system where the minister can sit at her desk and see a holistic view of the education system. What's going on? What our kids are learning, what our kids are learning, what they're doing, which school has a resource system, meaning they need more desk and chairs, which school need more books. That's what you get from having a centralized education management system. And that's what we need in Jamaica. That's what the Bahamas has. And they're a gold standard, you know. In a conference in Paris this year, I must tell you, Zaidi, Bahamas was honored by the United Nations and UNESCO for having such a sophisticated system, a digital system, allowing for this level of oversight and policy making, because that's where it starts, and you know, data drives good decisions. And so this is where we're kind of, you know, just a call to action, you know, for the ministry to move in this direction. And I know the ministry has some plans to move in this direction. But we see ourselves as technology enablers. And so these are the sort of, uh, you know, ideas we're putting forward that we ought to pursue as a country. And certainly we'd be very happy to, to help. You talk about Spark before you go on. That's Spark, right? Um, Spark Education, right. Right. So Spark is geared at the, what, 12 to 18? Yeah, well, Spark Education. So Brittany is, has been a fantastic uh you know, woman in tech, I would say, right, in that she has really thought carefully about the ideas surrounding coaching and mentorship of students. You see, a lot of times we see problems with students and we always say, boy, you have a problem with math, language, you may have a problem with physics, but what if you actually don't have a subject matter problem, right? What if the problem is you may have anxiety in how you're studying, you may have issues when you, you know, many parents have issues where the child learn, learn the thing the right way, but they go into the test and they fail the test and you thought, you know, what is happening? They may need coaching. And that's where academic coaching comes in, right? And that's what Brittany and Spark focuses on, getting the best out of students through, through coaching and, and, and mentorship and, and being almost like a, an accountability partner between a coach and a child. So now, instead of just focusing on the math and so on, we're, we're seeing, are you organized enough? Are you taking notes well, right? As parents, are you coaching this child the right way based on their learning styles, et cetera? Are you over-coaching them? Are you under-coaching them? So we almost becomes an, become an extension of the parent where we form this bond with a child over an academic year. And that's, that's the service that we will now provide through this acquisition of Spark. 
we're allowing coaches to connect to students daily. You go online, you select your coach based on your preference. Uh, so it's a marketplace of coaches. It's a marketplace of tutors who will be listing their services and students and parents alike will go on, search for our tutor, search for our coach and connect online. It's quite beautiful what's going to happen as a result of this. Imagine pairing coaches with students um, to assist them in, in just about everything, not just the academic side, but even the small things that we consider small that may be big to them. Now, I am intrigued um, by a lot of the things I'm hearing, and I'm specifically interested in how this, your organization, your company can help the government, the Ministry of Education to better manage our situation. I've, I know of friends who live in Australia and they went to sure. the old school, you know, the radio school. And, um, and you did mention this, the, the, the tutor in the box it is? Is that what the it is? The classroom in a box. The classroom, the classroom in a box, right. right. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, there are people who can't even hear. We're having so much trouble getting internet service. In my right. community, I mean, I, I'm trying to call you 10 times and you probably didn't get even two touring and, and I'm serious, you know, and this is what, 15 miles out of Kingston, something like that. Right. Um, is, uh, I don't, I'm not sure, but maybe you can tell me what is it that minist the ministry needs to do in terms of um, mobilizing funds or whatever you call it, resources to get you to the optimal, you know, to that um, star, um, we call it five-star kind of performance where you'd like to be? No, so it requires, it's, it's not as an easy solution. It has many layers and it, it requires a, a multi-layered approach to, uh, to solving such an issue. It's a very complex. And let me tell you how complex it is, right? The Prime Minister of Barbados, Honorable Mayor Motley, should have shared at a recent meeting of the United Nations a very interesting concept, right? If, if companies and countries can solve problems such as male baldness and, you know, things like going to space, why is it that there are kids who still do not have, uh, let's say, a tablet, still do not have, uh, let's say, access to connectivity? In the same way that utilities such as electricity and water are essential to our well-being, I would say so is access to information, and information exists in the World Wide Web on the Internet, right? And so there's, there's no reason that suggests in 2021 that we should not be able to afford such things. The, the problem has been and has always been the return on investment for those who provide such services. So for example, in the case of the tablet makers and so on, someone has to pay. The question is if we pay, how do we develop a sustainable model through which when this tablet becomes outdated in three, five years, we replace that tablet. Uh, for the internet companies, the question now becomes, how do we provide such an essential service at a rate that still allows us to be profitable? Because these are things that, you know, the shareholders want. They, they run profitable or profit-centric companies, right? And while from time to time they engage in activities that maybe uh, have a social benefit, at its core, they're, they're, they're profit-making companies. So the, the question is, how do we balance those skills? How do we ensure that the for-profit uh, incentives are met by the social? 
um, incentives. And for me, the answer to that is looking at education as infrastructure, ZD. What do I mean by that? You know, when we look at a toll road, and we understand that if I put a toll road in place between Kingston and Montego Bay, it's going to increase tourism traffic to these attractions. It's going to reduce the time to get goods to the customers and so on and so forth. We can justify an operationally efficient model that will lead to or that will necessitate us, let's say, saying to a French or a Chinese company, install for me a toll road and the model is one where we're going to pay for it every year because we need it. We cannot not afford it. Now, if we look at education and we look at our GDP right now, Jamaica GDP, the last time I checked, was close to about 20 million, um, 20 billion, uh, I take it, US, right? Now, if you look at our GDP and our workforce and, and how efficient our workforce is, just let's think about that for a minute. Our workforce, Currently, less than 20% are trained beyond the secondary school, right? And not only are less than 20% trained beyond the secondary school, but we're the lowest in the region in terms of the hemisphere. Jamaica is among the lowest, right? America is about 40%. You have Mexico, they're even above us and things. We're in the teens, right? Not good. Workforce productivity leads to more output. More output means more revenue for the government in taxes and so on, because more economic activity is taking place. And if we have that, what will happen invariably is that the government will earn more, that we can do nicer things. The question now becomes, so we now know that if we have a more productive workforce and capacity, meaning more educated population, more people are trained to do more things, then what we can have as a long-term benefit is a return in terms of revenue. The difference between education and those other investments is that the time to get that revenue is much shorter for other investment than it is education. The fact is, when a teacher touches your mind and you're six years old, it's going to take you another, I would say, another 20 years to start adding value back to the economy. You would have had to go to primary, high school, college, and so on, and get trained and get a skill to start paying taxes. So therefore, we have to look at this problem, not as a one-off problem, but a problem that is almost generational, that we are going to make this investment now for the simple fact that within 10 to 20 years, it will have this benefit. You know, when we had the Vision 2030 strategy, I believe this was established before 2010, we could have had 20 years to do this, and by 2030, we would have achieved all of this. The fact of the matter is, it will take roughly about $6 billion Jamaican to supply every child with a tablet. That would have had to be replaced every um, few years or so, three to five years, based on the life or the shelf life of um, tablets and so on. You know, software needs to be updated, all of these things. It's going to require an investment. You talk about internet, the very same thing. But we cannot look at it as a short-term return because we're never going to do it. What we have to look at it is what impact does this or such an investment make now that will lead to and impact 10, 20 years down the line. And the final point I want to make on it is that it's not like we're not making investment in other areas, you know. We're making investment, for example, in a book program where kids at school are getting books. The average parent is paying 20 to 30,000 now on their book list every year. If I give that book a tablet or that student a tablet and I invest or push the publishers to work on digital copies of these books, COVID happened almost two years ago. 
that would have been a good enough time for them to start digital, digitizing their books. And while the ministry, they have started to move in this um, direction, what I'm saying is more needs to be done from these publishers to make their content available digitally, because then it will help everybody. But again, the profit motive, it has to make sense for them, which makes sense. And so what we're saying, it requires boldness, it requires vision. And I do believe that we have that at the ministry. Um, you know, but it requires a more cohesive uh, partnered approach, not just from the ministry, but even private sector like myself, uh, looking in this direction, the book publishers and all of that, the, the, the telecom companies, the tablet makers and all of that. But we have to be bold. And if the government is to afford this, it's going to take time. One way we could do it, I, I have suggested, is that we could have kind of like a uh, technology bond or a, a education bond where you know this bond is listed on the exchange and it has listed a 20, 30 year maturity in the same way we have other bonds or investment instruments that exist. It pays an interest rate. And what this bond does is that we invest or put money up into this investment scheme or this bond and it's issued by the government. And the, so the, the government in effect is borrowing from its people. And we put up this money as citizens. And this money is used to build out this education infrastructure so that every child has access to a tablet, internet connectivity, and information, which is important. And over the next X number of years, so the government pays that back in 30 years, but my argument is that we could build a model in that our GDP increased to a point where we can afford at that time to pay back such an investment for many reasons. One. That bond, by that time, the money that is being paid back in those future dollars would have been cheaper for us um, when you compare it to nowadays dollars because inflation would have set in, right? But the, the, the returns that we would get from every child having that access to information can get a skill. Far too many of our um, tertiary or, or students who leave high school, they're not getting skilled. So if we can put in place such a bond where the government borrows the money from us, whether it is $6 billion or however much it is, then we give ourselves the 10 to 20 years to start seeing that return and that increase in GDP, more revenue for the government. That's money that they can use to pay back. And that those are the bold thinking that we may need to look into. But if we continue looking at education as for short-term return, you will never see it. You'll never see it. Um, teachers, students, and so on. And that's what I'm saying. It's very complicated. And it requires boldness, it requires bold thinking, and it requires uh, us to be brave and courageous in our efforts uh, to achieve this um, seemingly unreachable or unattainable uh, objective of providing a universal education to all. But I think we can do it. Uh, it has to come through the technology, though, and we have to be bold. We get the financiers in the room and everybody. $6 billion, I've seen companies raising this to put up real estate projects, building houses. And I'm saying we have to see education in a similar light, investing in the educational infrastructure of our country, allowing us to benefit in the future for future generations. And that's it. The reason you do it for our real estate is because you know when you finish building in three years, you can sell it back. But education will take 20 years, but you know what will happen after that? We will be prosperous and we'll be a prosperous nation. So that's my perspective on, on that. Passionate indeed. I like the passion. All right. So I want you to tell me and um, briefly what in because we're trying to wrap up. Yeah. Um, what would you say one on one is offering to the future of, of Jamaican education? You see this at the top right here. 
that 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 thing up the top, the personal touch. You see those two fingers going together. That's the personal touch, right? Yeah. We 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 want to, you know, Zadie. Education is such a powerful tool. Um, certainly helped me uh, ascend social ladders in my own life. Uh, certainly has helped me and given me the conviction to help others in the same way uh, I have realized the power of education. But not only that, it has now put me in a position where I can think about these ideas that could help um, our entire nation, but not only our nation, Jamaica, but our region. And so one-on-one, -on -one, we see ourselves as uniquely positioned as a company to provide, and not just me, Zadie. Behind me, there are probably about 60 team members that we have working. We have about 25 teachers who are on our team, and they're all passionate about education. And we have one simple goal, to provide a personalized, affordable, and quality education to every single Jamaican child. We're also catering to the professional. We're launching our platform next year for professionals. Currently, we have 4,000 teachers who are training on our platform. We want to provide people with an avenue to get access to knowledge that they can use it to impact their own world in the way that they choose fit. And we see our goals in all of that as enabling them by assessing their knowledge that they have, the gaps in knowledge that they need to fix, assigning them the courses that they need to fix it by way of self-paced content, by way of live training or classes for these kids or connecting them with their tutors and coaches. That's for the K-12, for the professionals. We see it as providing off-the-shelf courses to all the companies that we work with so that they can train their team members better. And by having better trained team members, productivity goes up. So we see ourselves as uh, enablers and you know, companies even come to us, they need to build uh, content for them so that they can train their team members. So we see ourselves as uh, enabling progress through education and training in the region in a very personalized way, Zadie, going back to basics before all the industrial world requiring us to be in a class of 50 and 60, before those capitalistic objectives, we want to go back to the basic where education was between me and you and very personal. That's our aim, that's our objective. That's, we are seven years in and we continue to push. We now serve about 200,000 learners regionally, Zadie, and we want to serve as many as possible. There are about 6 million people in the region. So many people want to learn. So many people want to get trained. We want to enable practice. And that's where we are. Ricardo Allen, very passionate Ricardo Allen, one-on-one. -on -one. Impact in Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation, Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited, the Jamaica Public Service Company, Red Stripe, Kyramed and Proven Investments Limited. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite, motivate and encourage, send us an email to impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Do join us again for another in the series on Google Podcast, Audible, Spotify, Podcast Addict and Stitcher. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com.